Back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right, good morning and welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB. I wish I could describe to you my studio right now. I am on the road with my my main job. <laughs> it's, it's, it would be unprofessional to describe a, a borderline in a van down by the river. But that's actually much more literal than you might think. But uh, anyway, I'm getting the show done, uh, like it or not, for some of you out there. But we're, we're going to get a show done plenty to get to today. Uh Halloween, I didn't even mention it yesterday, and I I had no Halloween. I tried to pick up a couple of horror movies over the weekend while I'm out on the road working, uh, but no Halloween festivities. But I did run across a video of some kids. It was, they won Halloween as far as I was concerned. It was the best gag of all time, probably about five or six kids. And one of the kids was dressed up as Joe Biden. And the others were so secret, uh, secret service or his aides, and they were with him, trying to help him get up the two steps <laughs> to get up to where the candy was, and the kid do, playing Biden, playing the dementia patient, uh, was absolutely excellent as he struggled, <laughs> and then when he gets up to the front door and the people, everybody applauds that uh, that this Joe Biden got up a couple of stairs. That's that's what I love to see. Uh, I love to see stuff like that. Um, I wanted to get into a little bit of economic stuff today because there's certainly a lot going on and what's going on in the Middle East is it's really taken my attention because it's so serious. And believe me, it's going to have an effect on the U.S. economy, too. Uh, These are not really separate issues. If many people get what they want, if the neocons get what they want, and that's World War III in the resource-rich area of the Middle East, alongside of being belligerent towards Russia, if you think uh, the gas prices we saw in the first year of Biden's term, uh, that ain't nothing. I'll be honest with you. I bought uh, oil, an oil ETF. I've been kind of disappointed and surprised that it has not spiked more than it has, but I'm poised just in case. But I wanted to, here's a story just to show you how out of touch, not just the mainstream media, but the particularly the Wall Street mainstream media is. Check out this headline. This is in the Wall Street Journal. Headline is, the economy is great, period. Why are Americans in such a rotten mood? <laughs> Lingering inflation can't explain all of the unhappiness. Maybe it is referred pain from the wider world. This is the the Wall Street Journal. They say, last week we learned that the economy, far from sliding towards recession as economists had predicted over the past year, has actually picked up steam thanks to indefatigable fatigable, fatigable consumers, meaning people are still spending. 
Uh, The story, I'm not going to go into a lot of it, but it's basically talking about the fact that sales are up, just totally discounting the fact of what you and I know, which is we're not spending, we're not buying more stuff. We're just paying more for the stuff we're getting. The government tells you that inflation is running at, what are they saying recently, 3.9%, but we've got people documenting, going to the Costco's and the, the stores of the world and showing what they paid a year ago versus what they pay now, and the increases are like 44%, 79%, depending on the product. So the Wall Street Journal just out there from their ivory tower in Manhattan trying to figure out what is, what's wrong, gloomy Gus? The government tells us the economy is just doing great. Well, that doesn't always seem to translate to the real world. Zero Hedge had an article. And this is a very interesting thing. I wish Google was not such an evil company because the tech is fantastic if they didn't censor it and use it to manipulate the American mind. Uh, But it is pretty amazing. And the, the statistics around what Americans are searching for is really fascinating. I should probably bring this more to to this show because you want to talk about taking a large sample of things. Recently, Zero Hedge posted this, Americans panic search, quote, give car back, <laughs> unquote, as some subprime auto loan delinquencies erupt. Now, I, I'm not laughing at this. I'm not laughing at the struggling of people, but just, just the idea that we give car back. The the English is not great, first of all. Maybe that's what makes me chuckle a little bit. But give car back. And when you look at the chart, this chart that they're showing goes back to uh, before the financial crisis, the great financial crisis. And the interesting thing is, is that it has been ticking upwards ever since then, and then really kind of escalating within the past two years. Obviously, a lot of Americans having a little bit of buyer's remorse at their $1,000-plus monthly car payments that were hard enough before inflation, and now when they're spending more for everything else, that car payment is looking a little rough. So anyway, record numbers of people looking for give car back. <laughs> Good luck with that. One of the people that posted that on on uh, social media or responded to it was actually a an account that I follow, car dealership guy, he's got very interesting things about the car business, but he said, just for anybody who's wondering, you can't just give it back. I would imagine a lot of Americans are finding that out right now. This clip is from Australia, uh, but I thought it was very interesting. I'm not sure how many people are familiar. We know what a bailout is, right? Oh, yeah. Everybody knows what a bailout is because... We, we have been on the hook for bailing out insurance companies, banks, corporations, people sitting on their butt during COVID. I mean, we understand a bailout. Do you understand what a bail-in is? And this may be the future of America. Uh, I'll explain bail-ins in just a second. But uh, Australia, this is a guy commenting about uh, what's going on in the Australian banking system right now. And when you know that the, really all of the Western world is pretty much in the same boat right now, It's amazing to think that really, I don't want to call us the most civilized societies. That's kind of how we like to think of ourselves. But I think our our priorities have been so out of whack for a while that, you know, civilized is kind of a relative term to me. But the, the Western world, the most, 
what am I trying to say even? What, what do we even call ourselves? It, it, it's not necessarily successful. Uh, it's not even really progressive because a lot of the things that have happened over the past several decades really have been kind of regressive to us as far as our quality of life. But you know what I mean, kind of the, the bright and shiny industrial nations of the Western world. They all lost their mind at the same time. And so the Western world is really all kind of one. But here's what's going on in Australia, just so maybe keep an eye out for it here in the United States. And I won't say it's very far off because I've heard stories like this from the U.S. before, but this is one that I just recently heard from Australia. Why I think we might be on the edge of a bank bail-in. I've had a few people, and even myself, tried to transfer some money to uh, someone to help someone overseas and... I've done that before and the bank locked it off and I called the bank and they're like, oh, well, we, you know, the big interview, <laughs> what's it for, who's it going to, where'd it come from, it's all none of their business. <clears throat> they're making it so difficult to transfer funds. I have a friend that sold his house and he's take, taken that money out of the bank, like a previous video, some of you suggested anyway, and as he's doing that, the bank is locked his account. Uh, he tried to transfer some money to his wife's account. They locked that off. He had to call the bank, and the bank was, what's the money for? Where did it come from? He said, it came from me, from one of my other accounts to here, to my wife's account with me. And they refused to do it. Uh, he ended up having to get onto the, the bank manager on the phone, the supervisor, and finally got them to agree that he was allowed to have access to his money. Um, I know of others that are doing the same thing. The money's just been uh, locked off and they try to get it they can't get it and it becomes a real uh, a real issue to try to get it so I asked myself the question why are they doing that and I believe it's a bank bail-in I think we're on the edge of a bank bail-in and so let me go ahead and explain a bank bail-in this happened in Cyprus I want to say around it was around the great financial crisis around the 2008-2009 crisis. And essentially, if you had a certain amount of money uh, in, in the bank, say it was over $100,000 for everything that you had in, in a bank, over $100,000 they took, uh, I can't remember what it was, 5 or 10%. They just took it. That's a bail-in. Rather than waiting for the government, going through all the trouble of having to steal from millions of your citizens bundle all that money up through Washington, D.C. Or, or Sydney in Australia's term. Instead of robbing your citizens and then handing it over to the banks, what the banks do is they just go, eh, we're just going to take some of this already sitting in our accounts. It is definitely much more efficient, isn't it? That's a bail-in. And I'll tell you why I believe this is happening and why I believe you'll see it here in the United States because of the bond market. Yep, I'm going to go there again. So what's happened now is that these banks, as I've reported before, have got about, uh, last I saw, about $700 billion in paper losses uh, on the, the investments that the banks hold. Now, the, it doesn't really matter to them because they've got all kinds of accounting gimmicks right now where they don't, they're not forced to really come clean about that and tell anybody. But the losses, if they actually had to sell the bonds in their portfolio then they would lose massive amounts of money. And what would cause a bank to sell bonds to get cash in its place? Depositors wanting to get their money back. See, so I think the banks, 
at least until we get out of this mess where they have this $700 billion in losses, they want to hide that. And the only way they hide that is if people keep their money in the bank. If there was a run, this is what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, if you remember. Peter Thiel put out the word that they were in some trouble. People went to go uh, transfer their money out. They stopped people from taking their money out. And the bank went bust in what, about 24, 48 hours? Because the the tremendous losses that they had uh, in their reserve account. They had a bunch of very worthless bonds in there that they needed to redeem for cash to give to their depositors, and they weren't out, uh, allowed to do it. So anyway, this is Australia, and this is not really anything new. We know in America now if you do anything in your bank account, in the, in the land of the free, if you do anything in your bank account that's not your air quotes here in the studio, usual banking transactions, they will report you to the feds, tell you to keep an eye on Mike there. He deposited a $1,200 cash that he doesn't normally cash. Just, just keep an eye on him. Uh, so these things are happening. Uh, don't expect it to get any better. And obviously the, the ultimate control of this will be if they get the, anyone, anyone, the central bank digital currency, then they control where your money is all the time. You won't really have any opportunities to be moving money from one place to another because it will be uh, all dictated to you by the government. Uh, this does make me want Bitcoin. I will tell you that because the, these banks, as of right now, cannot control Bitcoin. I, I, I want to own some Bitcoin. I'm just not going to own it at $32,000, $34,000 a coin. My target on Bitcoin is $3,500. So it's got to go by, down by about 90%, and then I'm going to dip my toe into to Bitcoin. I still don't know. It's one of these few things. I, I feel like I'm one of the few people who can just come out and say, yeah, I just don't know which way Bitcoin goes. I think it's cool. I'm kind of cheering for it, but I don't know if it's going to work. It's, it's like every other issue. You're supposed to either be totally for it or totally against it. Now, like many issues, I don't really know, but uh, the bank messing with even getting your own money out or transferring it overseas or transferring it to your wife without them hassling you, that makes me want something that is outside of the banking system. So come on, Bitcoin, $3,500 and I'm in. One more clip here. This is, um, this is Stanley Druckenmiller. He's one of the most successful, most rational investors of all time. And I just thought he said something that uh, you've heard before in the Mike Madison show. But is there any way around monetizing these debt levels? Is there any way inflation is not here to stay? Yeah, I yeah, we could have a um, long term. Look, I don't have to worry about the long term <laughs> my day job, but, <laughs> but I will say this. We could have an event. I don't know whether, hopefully, it's not a, 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 a war of major powers that bring us together and you get sacrificial behavior like we got after the Depression and the World War II. We could have a financial crisis um, due to everything I've been talking about. And finally, my generation, I think Paul Jones made the point, we've given nothing. We've given nothing. And now we want to screw our grandchildren. Finally, we get the memo. So, no. Yeah. Uh, he's right. This is not popular segment on the Mike Madison show to point out how the baby boomer generation and my generation, Generation X, really screwed, really screwed the next generation. 
And, you know, it, it's interesting to me uh, because boomers and Gen Xers think they really hung the moon. And I'm talking about myself here. You know, I, why is it that I seem to be the only one who can lay blame on my own generation and myself? Everybody acts like when you when you hear people talking, uh, boomers, Gen Xers, any of the older generation right now, they always they look at the mess we're in and they say, it wasn't us. We worked hard. We built this country. And it's true. Many of you did work hard. And yes, some of you helped build this country. But you did it on debt. Everything that's been built for the last 50 years now has been built on debt. And you're leaving our kids to pay the tab. So, uh, Stanley Druckenmiller's right. He goes on to just talk about the fact that this country continues to spend like drunken sailors, and it is not going to end well. You might not want to listen to me, but he is one of the most successful investors of all time. Pay attention to Druckenmiller. Find out what he's investing in, because he sees the end game, and it ain't pretty. I'll be right back. All right, there's, uh, there's one thing financially I cannot leave out. This is really pretty amazing. Apparently, the, the realtors, a Missouri jury has found the National Association of Realtors guilty of conspiracy to inflate commissions. The NAR, that's the National Association of Realtors, and defendants have been ordered to pay $1.7 billion in damages. Now, I've done a little bit of research on this to kind of see exactly what it was about, but it, it essentially uh, may call into question the real estate commission structure uh, as it stands. I've heard Kim Wade talk about this. He's in real estate. He understands, you know, the MLS system. These are things that I really I don't understand. But the real estate industry, as much as I, I, I love our realtors, really do. You, you get a good realtor. They can make you more money on your house. They can get you a better deal on a new house. Uh, some of them earn their money. But they're like financial advisors, too. you gotta be, you got to be pretty careful. Make sure you've got a good realist, uh, realtor. Just this locked-in 6% commission. I mean, as home prices have gone up, 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 no more work for the realtors necessarily. I'm not saying they don't work hard. I'm just saying the transactions are relatively the same, but their income can go up 40, 50, 200% over the course of a few years to the point where homes are now unaffordable for our young people out there. And I know that, uh, as I say, I've heard Kim Wade talk about this. I wish I understood it better. Maybe I should talk to him. But, you know, I think MLS locks people out. You have to have some realtor connection. Maybe that's not exactly the case. But the real estate industry, great realtors, great real estate agents, as much as I love you, you'll find your place in it. I think there's definitely a value. As I say, I've had good realtors, to be honest with you, and I've had bad realtors. And I noticed a difference in my selling price and my buying price uh, between the good ones and the bad ones. But that industry is so ripe for an upsetting of the apple cart because 
just the, these fees just baked into the cake. It's a lot of money. When you were talking about a four hundred thousand dollar house, what's the the median home in uh, home price now is something like four hundred twenty thousand dollars, isn't it? North of four hundred thousand, you're talking about six percent. So out of that transaction for just a an average home in the United States. Between the buying and the selling agent, they're taking $24,000 off the top of that transaction. That seems a bit excessive. In a time where we have the ability to go online and do our own browsing of houses and set up appointments to go see them, and I can't imagine, I haven't bought a house in this method before, that there aren't a lot of services that can get you all the closing documents or you know, really kind of make the transaction much easier than it has been in the past uh, before you had. I'm just saying uh, to the great real estate agents out there, you'll survive. And this is actually probably a great time. Really good real estate agents. This is a good time for them because a lot of the people who jumped in just when the gravy train got rolling in the last part of this bubble, they, they won't survive. And that's sad. I, I cheer for anybody to be successful, but they'll go and the the ones that know what they're doing, they'll stick around and there'll be less competition for them on the other side. But apparently this is a pretty big ruling. And a lot of people uh, that I've seen online that I respect are saying this could really upset the apple cart. Uh, as far as this class action lawsuit, I did see somebody say, if you bought an overpriced house in the last three years, find out more about this lawsuit. You may be entitled to some cash. <laughs> what do they say? Contact us today. You may be entitled to a, a payment yourself. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. I want to learn more about it. Real estate ripe for disruption. And the realtors, that Dave, I'm telling you, we're, we're in our second huge housing bubble in just the last 15 years. They've had a good run, but I think they may have overplayed their hand on the size of some of these commissions. So we'll see how that turns out. Got to take a break. We'll be right back. Back. This is Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. It's always kind of funny, you know, I do segments like uh, the last one. And, and I do. I Seriously, I admire real estate agents and, and what they do. The, the really good ones are great. And, and it's always fun. I always know when, you, when I do something like that and I say, look, there's some great ones out there. I know there's real estate agents who will listen who would go, oh, he's not, he's not talking about me. I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> you know, it's like when I, I always imagine when I talk about either, you know, over policing in this country and the fact that we do have some very bad police out there, too. And I always say, but we've got some great police out there, too. I always know that every police officer listening to it's going, oh, I thought he was about to be talking about me, but he's not talking about me because I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we're all guilty of that. And it doesn't matter what our field is. All right. I got a couple of quotes of the day today. As we get into taking a little bit of a look at the Middle East and how things are progressing, I'm almost, I mean, well, that's not even true. I was going to say I'm almost more interested in this on a societal basis than I am as the event itself. What is taking place and the, the, the weird positions that people are staking out is pretty fascinating. I, was, I wish I wasn't so depressed about it, 
I wish it was a, in a more positive way, but it is interesting. Uh, this is a quote from Paul Valerie, who says, War, a massacre of people who don't know each other for the profit of people who know each other but don't massacre each other. Let me read that one again. War, a massacre of people who don't know each other for the profit of people who know each other but don't massacre each other. Truer words have not been spoken. Uh, this was a very interesting story that I ran across. A man stood outside a white uh, outside the White House with a single protest candle every night during the Vietnam War. A reporter came to him one night and said, Sir, do you really believe your little protest will change anything? And he said, Oh, I don't come here to change them. I come here so they don't change me. I will not allow this steady, maddening onslaught of insanity to wear down my humanity. I will keep knowing the truth and telling the truth. I will do my small part every damn day to stay human, to stay awake and tender, so the world does not wear away my humanity. I found that to be incredibly powerful. Because that's exactly right. Uh, if you are, have let your guard down, and I believe many have, based on the statistics I'm about to give you, many of you have let your guard down, and you have allowed the parasitical ruling class to erode your humanity. And it doesn't really matter which side of this issue you're on, which side of the Ukraine war you're on, which side of anything you're on. Uh, we are letting them take our humanity from us. This poll run by Data for Progress. This is October 18th, 19th poll. Now, this was uh, the screenshot of this was on MSNBC. So there's all kinds of ways that maybe this poll isn't right. I, I hope it's not right. Uh, the question asked people who were polled was, should the U.S. call for a ceasefire? Out of all voters, 66% agreed with that. Yes, there should be a ceasefire called for. Ah, uh, that's encouraging, but just the way I'm wired, most people see 66%. I see 34%. My first place I go mentally is 34% of people don't want to see a ceasefire? Now, here's where it gets a little sad to my conservative audience. And I, I, I ask you, have they, have they eroded away your humanity? When they broke this down by political affiliation... Asking, should the U.S. call for a ceasefire? Democrats, by 80%, agreed with that. Yes, they should. Independents, at 57%, said they should call for a ceasefire. And Republicans, at 56%, agreed that the U.S. should call for a ceasefire. And immediately, I think to myself, oh, 44% of Republicans, at least the respondents to this poll, and I'm going to just go ahead and to make myself to make myself happy, I'm going to say surely MSNBC has just did this to make Republicans. Surely 44% of Republicans are actually opposed to a ceasefire. It's it's not about forgiving and forgetting, any of this other stuff. It's just about stopping the killing. Are there seriously 44% of Republicans out there, or even 34% of the population at large, that doesn't want to see the killing stop? If you're somebody... 
I got to tell you, if you're somebody who wants to see this thing and just until the other side's last person dies, wow, that's a hell of a way to live. And and I'm maybe 1990s Mike might have gotten that twisted. I was a neocon warmonger at the time, but I think even as a young man wanting to see America rule the world when I was a Kool-Aid drinking Republican neocon. I think I was at least not wanting to see a whole lot of people die. That's really, really sad. There was a, somebody had posted something to Twitter. They said, quote, this was, it was in English. It's posted on Twitter. I'm assuming it's an American, but it almost doesn't matter in the Western world. But it's pretty funny if it's an American. They said, quote, Hamas doesn't take care of their people. They instead spend the money on weapons. (laughs) Uh... Are you kidding me? Jackson, Mississippi had no water for six weeks. Flint, Michigan was poisoning its people for what, a couple of years up there with the quality of their water? Everybody knows what the roads and bridges, what our infrastructure is looking like. We have seen this tremendous homelessness problem in this country. The VA is not taking care of our vets. And everybody is robbed to fund an $800 billion plus, that's low now, almost $900 billion military budget, about $1.1, $1.2 trillion national security budget. Is it really Hamas that is the one that is spending all their money on weapons? The United States is going bankrupt as people sleep in their cars and our children cannot afford to get out of the house. And we're spending a trillion dollars a year on weapons $8 trillion on the war in the Middle East. Don't be a hypocrite. I will just say that. I feel like I, I should maybe explain this show a little bit because I don't know. I hope, I, I seriously hope, maybe at the end of this week, maybe I won't talk about the Middle East next week because it will have calmed down and not become a subject. I, I don't want to talk about it because I find it horrifically sad. Somebody sent me something saying that I guess some group, maybe in Israel, had watched video of what the Hamas fighters did to the Israelis during that attack on uh, October 7th, and he said they cried. I thought, yeah, I bet they did. That was a brutal attack, seeing death. I'm telling you, these videos that are posted all over social media, I can't watch a single one of them. I don't want to see anybody die. It doesn't matter what side it's on. I'm not for the death of anybody in this thing. Look, I I think what's happened to the people in Gaza for decades has been tragic. What's happened to them over the past few weeks is a war crime, a crime against humanity. And if it keeps going, I also know that the people of Israel are going to potentially pay a huge price. A lot of great Israelis that are just living there, wanting to live their lives, they could reap the whirlwind from their neighbors over there if this thing does not calm down. I don't want to see either one of these sides die. But for, for anybody who's listening to the show that might be confused because it's so different from what you hear on, air quotes here in the studio, conservative radio, and, and if you haven't gotten the message from me, if you're a regular listener over the past six and a half years, I'm a staunch supporter of freedom for everybody. I I believe in my core, it's our human right, it is God's intention that we live lives as free people all over the world. 
I'm willing to accept the messiness of that and the tragedies that will happen. Even if we're free, it doesn't make some kind of utopia. But it is better than being under the boot of any government out there, any oppressive group. So I am almost, well, I'm going to take the almost away. I'm always for the legitimate freedom fighters. Now, sometimes... (laughs) Sometimes our government will arm terrorists and call them freedom fighters somewhere to topple some government somewhere for a pipeline or power or profit. That's not what I'm talking about. People who are legitimately oppressed, I'm for them. I'm for the Chinese people who fight against the communist regime. I'm for the Iranians who fight against the Iranian regime and the American hostilities towards them. I'm for the Canadians who fought against Trudeau his totalitarian control uh, that he has been imposing over uh, the Canadians for the past several years. I'm with fellow Americans. Anybody who knows me, I'm with you. If you're fighting for freedom, I'm there with you at the school board meetings. I'm not for the people who fight for control over a uh, powerful authoritarian government. That's what both of the political parties do, and it's why I don't participate in your tribal games, because that's not about freedom. That's not about removing oppression. That's about using the bludgeon of government on the other side. I'll have no part in that. I am for the Jews in 1930 Germany. When people are being abused, I'm for that group fighting back and winning their freedom and taking down their oppressors. Now, not all tactics for fighting for your freedom are good, of course. You know, the centers of power... I've spent my entire time in the radio explaining don't fight against innocent people, be it your neighbor or your cousin. As we head into a holiday season where I'm sure now some families won't be able to eat together because some of them favor the Jews and some of them favor the Palestinians. So they'll sacrifice some of their dearest relatives, some of the people they love most in their life because you have a disagreement. I don't do that. I don't do that here. I say you attack the heart of power. That's why the Hamas attacks were disgusting, because they went after some innocent people, some kids at a concert. But a little bit more about that in just a second. So none of this, you know, not all of these tactics are good. But I I am about people who are fighting for freedom and the people in Gaza, not justifying what they did, how they did it. But if they're fighting for freedom, they've got a little bit of my, they got some understanding for me. I understand. Not Hamas's attack on Israel, but if the fact that they are living in an open-air concentration camp, if they're throwing some rocks at the people that are guarding to keep them in that concentration camp, I, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say that that means they're evil people. They're being oppressed. You know, I am a. I, I'm a fan and fascinated with Malcolm X. Boy, I wouldn't agree with everything that he said. He really was. He was kind of a racist. Maybe not even kind of. Maybe he was a complete racist. But he was fighting against oppression for black people. And I admire for someone who who did it with such gusto. He didn't mess around. He didn't wait for somebody to come save him. He was out there on the battle line. So I may not agree with everything he did. May not agree with everything he said for sure. But I, I admire the fight. You know... Braveheart is one of the greatest movies of all time. 
And I don't know anybody who watches that and isn't struck by the movement for freedom. That's what the whole movie is about. I don't know anybody who cheers for the government. You watch that movie, you cheer for the freedom fighters. You see the abuse of the English government on the people of Scotland. You see William Wallace taking up arms and leading a group of people to do some pretty violent things for their freedom. Would they be terrorists? Did anybody look at that and go, that William Wallace just a terrorist? I'm for the British government in, in Braveheart. Because by today's standards... By today's standards, many people look at situations that are very similar to, and it doesn't matter, not just the Palestinian-Israeli uh, issue, but around the world you will see people fighting for their freedoms, but if your government tells you they're the bad guys and the people they're fighting against are the good guys, you just label them terrorists. But if they made a movie about them and didn't label them anything and you didn't associate, hadn't been told that the oppressor was some kind of a, a, a great ally of America, you cheer for the people fighting for their freedom. It happens in movies all the time. V for Vendetta. What a great movie. You know, the, 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 the left thinks the January 6th people were terrorists. Now it's the, it's the right who thinks the people who support the Palestinians are terrorists. I've seen it online. They want to silence Ron DeSantis as, as he's out there censoring these people and shutting down organizations because they, they stand with the Palestinians. It's, it's exactly the same thing as the nut jobs on the left and the Democrats thinking that the January 6th people were terrorists. They throw this, this, throw this, uh, this moniker around and everybody falls in line. You know, I mean, hell, were our founding fathers terrorists? I mean, they took some pretty aggressive action against the, uh, the oppressive British government at the time. Not everything was uh, was wine and roses. They didn't just debate them. They didn't wait for somebody to come save them. Hell, they they had a three percent tax and they lost their ever loving mind. We got American patriots now paying fifty percent of their income without even a whimper of protest. You know, there there are horrible oppressive Muslim governments, right? Saudi Arabia is one, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, the Taliban, all horrific totalitarian governments. Wouldn't want to live under any of them. Support the people who are fighting against that kind of oppression. But while Israel is not more oppressive than most Western governments to their own people, it is a brutal dictator to most of the Muslims within its borders. Not all of them, but particularly to the Palestinians in Gaza. They're brutal. And to expect that 2.5 million people are going to take that kind of abuse for decades without lashing out is just silly. You know, I, I was looking at it. I'll tell you what, i got to take a quick break. I'm running out of time already. Many might be glad. <laughs> We're going to do just a little bit of math on the when I, when I come back. I'm going to show you the results of what a lot of people are cheering for. Apparently, at least 44% of Republicans, according to that poll, don't want to see a ceasefire. Let me tell you what you're going to get if you don't get one. Be right back. So dark you can't see the end Skies cocked back Shotgun which can't defend The rain then sends dripping Acidic questions Forcefully The power suggestion Then with the eyes shut Looking through the rust and rotten dust A small spot of light floods the floor And pours over the rusted world and pretend And the eyes ease open And it's dark again From the top to the bottom From the top I stop At the core I forgot In the middle of my thoughts Take it far from my safety Alright, final segment I'm going to wrap it up You know, it's funny I, I say 
I am for the people fighting for freedom. I am for every single person listening to this show. I want you to be free, truly free, to live your life the way you want to live your life. Libertarians like myself, basically you got two rules. Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. That's pretty much it. If you do one of those things, then there are going to be repercussions, and I'm, I'm down with that too. But I want freedom for every single person listening to me. I don't care if you're white, black, young, old, Asian, Hispanic, Iranian, Chinese, Israeli. I don't care. I want freedom for everybody. You know, the funny thing is, though, people don't even want it for themselves, really, largely. They they don't want real freedom. I've seen that. I mean, there's just not a real appetite for it. But real quick before I go, let's just do a little math. You know, Israel right now is attempting to stop Hamas by attacking and killing all the Hamas fighters, right? Now, they say they're just trying to get these people with Hamas, which I totally get, you know, as far as wanting to hold them accountable, capture or kill the Hamas people who attacked Israel on October 7th. Fair game. The, the problem is that in the process, if there is no ceasefire, they're going to kill thousands and thousands, possibly maybe 10,000 uh, innocent Palestinians. So they were trying to get 1,500 Hamas fighters. Let's say they get them all, every single one of them. Every one of the ones that were involved in the attacks of October 7th is dead. So you started out with 1,500 Hamas terrorists, and you killed all 1,500, along with 10,000 innocent people. How many terrorists, how many Hamas terrorists do you have at the end of that operation? Started with 1,500, you killed 1,500. I would say... My best guess might be around 50,000 terrorists left. You kill 10,000 innocent people in a brutal op uh, operation to get this 1,500 people the way they're doing it right now. You will create an easy 50,000 terrorists, not to mention the other countries who are seeing what's going on, and they're not having it either. I worry for Israel. I worry for the Israeli people. You should be wanting a ceasefire, number one, through humanity. But it's also the pragmatic way to go. This way is going to end in tears for the poor people of Israel who wouldn't have chosen this either. They're protesting against Netanyahu themselves. I wish them luck in stopping that madman. But if it keeps going and you get what you want, which is this widespread slaughter of people that you find uh, undesirable, just remember my math. Because I think you're going to see a lot of evidence of it in the real world. More on that I don't have time for. We'll do it maybe next week. Have a great one. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.